back to the Carly Pilk Boys. We're on to Series 2, Episode 31. I'm David Ferrier. With Stephen Merchant. Zach, what's your Heat Magazine-style headline for this show? What does radio genius Carl Pilkington look like? Will we ever find out? Lots of laughs on this episode from Ricky. It's a big Ricky laughing episode. Did you notice that? No. Is that just me? Okay, cool. Um... Speaking of what does he look like, a comment in the YouTube, below the YouTube video of this, we went from Carl being worried about being on the poster to having multiple series on Sky where he travelled the world. What a career trajectory. But that was kind of what he was talking about, though, in a way, is that he wanted to leave some space for him to move. So maybe he played it perfectly. Mm. Maybe it was the intrigue of what he looked like that got him into those Sky auditions. We all think Carl's a fool, but maybe he'd been playing us as fools this whole time. Mm. He's the ultimate... uh, Who's the guy from the end of uh, Usual Suspects? Never seen it. Ah, A bit more effort from Ricky and Steve this week, did you feel? Did you feel this show was a little bit of a reaction to last week's show? Possibly, possibly. Although I do note that we still didn't get, which struck out to me... Uh, we didn't get Carl in a film. Kaiser Sose, by the way. Sorry. That's the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just remembered um, from Usual Suspects. We didn't get Carl in a film, which he no, said. No, two weeks in a row. Had, but he said he had it prepared last week. Yes. So he, does he have it sitting there ready to press play? And two weeks in a row, they never got to it? It's confusing. I believe he does. Yeah, two weeks in a row, they didn't get to it. This week, though, we do hear songs of phrase, and I love that you hear his disappointment when the answers don't start flooding in because mm. he's he put the work in. So Did you w- always find it, by the way, when you when you finish a show and you haven't used all your resources, you haven't used everything you've prepared, don't you think it's kind of like a bit of a great feeling? Because you're like, tomorrow... I've got I've got a little bit already up my sleeve in my back pocket. I'm not coming into a blank slate. Yeah, it's a good feeling. This was broadcast March 29, 2003. Number one in the UK charts was still Spirits in the Sky by Gareth Gates and the Kumars. Movies released the day before this show include The Core, Cradle to Grave, The Rules of Attraction, and The Recruit. Movies you could have gone and see on a Saturday night after listening to this show. We've got a new uh, executive producer on the Patreon, Zach. Every EP, by the way, if you sign up to the EP level, gets a digital copy of the Carl's Childhood Illustration. And this has been something I just have done quietly, but I'll make it official. Every executive producer gets a signed physical postcard-sized copy of the drawing. I've been contacting everyone privately and sending them out. They've been going down well, and I've got a stack of them, so... Um, if you want a little postcard-sized copy of that illustration depicting Carl's childhood in the style of his favourite artist, Lowry, patreon.com forward slash Carly Pilk Boys. Uh, but most importantly, if you are an EP of this show, you get a commercial radio-style nickname. So welcome to our new EP, Luke Carr. Zach, I texted you on, your, on the way over here that we needed another nickname. I assume... Uh, that was very late notice, so I assume you maybe. Well, I got it just time. before I got out of the car, and I was walking here in the rain, so I was kind of all right. Well, stepping it, but my first thoughts were that we had to use car, Luke Car. Obvious, That's yeah. Too much of a, it, you know, it's too obvious. Yeah. So I, initially, I'm thinking bus driver, <laughs> the bus driver car, chauffeur, the chauffeur, or mechanic. I had the mechanic as oh, well. there we go. Well, it's got to be mechanic. What the else ca- do you have? Uh, car makes me think, well, what do you do in a car? You drive it. Uh, made me think of 
driver, the driver. Well, also a movie. because in radio, especially in the UK, don't they? Isn't someone described as driving the show? Like the like, well, that's what, um, that's like what the anchor. anchor does. But yeah. we'd say anchor in Australia. But I thought maybe they said the driver in the UK. Someone's driving the desk. I don't mind the anchor, but it made me, the driver made me think of the movie Driver. So Luke Jason Statham car <laughs> star of yeah Driver. Well, cars are a theme in every Jason Statham film. I feel like uh, I looked up car. The origins of the surname Car, Irish shorthand, uh, shortened anglicised form of O'Cara, descendant of Cara, a personal name from the adjective core, pointed, uh, core or pointed, explained as meaning spear. So we could do Luke the spear car, Luke the javelin car, or uh, makes me think of Game of Thrones, how the the Dornish uh, uh, Oberon Martell fights the mountain with a spear. So we could do Luke the Dornishman car. All great. They're all good. I kind of like the anchor because <laughs> you're driving a show. It's you know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Uh, it's very, um, it's a secure name, isn't it? It like it feels like um, it's grounded. Mm. These aren't meant to be puns, but they're coming out like that. <laughs> <laughs> but the but again, like keeping you anchored to all the yes. latest hits. Yes, Luke the anchor car. I've always wanted to throw out an anchor. Have you ever? I think I have in like a tinny, <laughs> like a small boat. But, like, I'd love to be, like, spinning it around on a big boat. You know, the, uh, and it goes, go, as the uh, chain goes out. Zach, I think that's a pretty achievable wish. And I if have that such is what a fantasy you... of um, a certain era of maritime. Uh-huh. Kind of like 1930, I reckon. There used to be this boat. It's called the Forceful in um, the Brisbane River. It, uh, it was a tugboat, steam tugboat. And up until about two years ago, it sat moored outside uh, on the Brisbane River, and you could go and you can go and like walk through it. But it's recently been moved to. Well, actually, they're going to sell it. <laughs> and I've been considering. I've been trying to convince Putting my it wife. A bit? It's like, how much do you reckon it will go for? <laughs> like, could we get it? Okay, Queensland's. This is a new story Mar- from the MaritimeMuseum.com.au. Brisbane's historic te- uh, steam tug Forceful takes a river trip ahead of health check. Yeah. So this is, I'm afraid for forceful how she's going, um, uh, whether because there was talk that they were going to cut it in half as a museum exhibit, so you could see like a, what what do they call that when it's split in half, mm. like a sideways, like a schem, not a schematic, but like a, they're what they like do at museums, dissect it, yeah, and show it from the inside. But I don't want that to happen to her. The 95-year-old tugboat will be moved downriver from its berth <laughs> at Queensland Maritime Museum to the yard slipway in order to undergo a survey of her hull. Uh, uh, ST, what does that mean? Steam tug? Forceful served the people of Brisbane for 45 years, both on the river and as a rescue and recovery vessel off the Queensland coast, QMM CEO Emma DeMuzio said. She is a treasure of the city, and this slipway visit and survey is a critical part of protecting her for the future. Uh, Zach, you continue to surprise and delight me with the kind of things that you're interested in. Well, as a part of the display when you used to be able to go through the Maritime Museum, and look at it, was like the plans, like the blueprint or the schematic. And it says down the bottom, it has a little like courtesy of Queensland Museum. I've contacted the museum to see if they can find that schematic because I want to put it on my wall. Like not that exact one, but send me a print or whatever because there's, there's a whole library of stuff you can access. I'm not sure if you're aware of this with the State Library. <laughs> I am not. And um, 
they, I spent a lot of time going through these old photos and they said they can't find it. I've looked and looked and looked. I can't find it anywhere. You want this print to go alongside the print it's, of a schematic of, the, of your favourite train? The, uh, uh, I do have a, a portrait of your favourite <laughs> bee species. Uh, those are two things I've also looked into. And <laughs> the, no, but my wife doesn't understand. Well, she does understand, but kind of a point of... Con- I'm like, she's like, so do you want just like a, a tugboat schematic? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Has to be this tugboat. Has to be a very particular tugboat. I want it to say forceful on it because it means something to me that I have been on it and that it comes from Brisbane, where I'm from. Yeah. That that's where why it's meaningful. I don't want just any tugboat. It's got some meat. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um present anything else, I'll spit in your face. I, it was um it was from England. It was manufactured there. I've looked into its history. It has a Wikipedia page. And um so maybe this is a call out. If anyone listening, maybe your ancestors has connections in the tugboat industry. <laughs> maybe your maybe your grandparents, or it'd probably be great grandparents worked in. Um, actually, maybe even great great worked in tugboats in somewhere in England. I'm pretty sure it's from England. Let me know. Get in touch. Or maybe in England Zach they have Mando. a record of uh, the schematics better than the Queensland Library does. Anyway, we'll wait and see. Hit me up. But if that's your dream is to drop a, an anchor off a tugboat, yeah, that's, I think, you know, something the Make-A-Wish Foundation would, would be like, we can do that's it. pretty easy to do. Don't, Just, you, uh, don't you love tugboats? <laughs> From like a young age, I loved tugboats because they're like the I've little... never been asked that question. The little I've never had boat, to consider how I feel about tugboats. The little boat done good. They're, 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 they're small, but they're powerful and they're helpful. And it's during the 2011 floods. You probably wouldn't know this because you weren't here. But um, there, we had these big floods in the river and there's this big bridge that crosses the river and the pontoons, big cement pontoons were knocked from their moorings and they came flying down the river and they were going to hit the gateway bridge, which is like, you know, I don't know. Billions, yeah, it's a huge bridge. Billions of dollars worth of bridge. And if it hit one of the pylons... Then um yeah, you know, yeah there's the, risk. There's structural risk. risk. Out of nowhere, broadcast live from a <laughs> helicopter. You know, we've got the live footage from a helicopter. This tugboat. Do, 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 tugboat do, to the rescue. Comes not forceful, this other one. Comes out of nowhere. Boom. Hits it nose on. Guides it through the bridge. Doesn't hit anything. Cheers go up across the across the city. It was the it was the hope we needed. They're the superheroes of the river. Honestly, yeah, you know how... Is it a bird? Is it a plane? It's a tugboat. You know how um, like Superman would fly down and grab people just before Mm. a car hit them or something? Mm. It was like that just in real slow motion. I wonder if there's some sort of metaphor or something in your psychology about why you like tugboat. You know, they're they're helpful. They punch above their weight. Um, They're they're not flashy. You know, they just get in and get the job done. I'm hearing a lot of those things myself as I say it. I'm thinking, what would a therapist say about this? (laughs) However, I'd also say that I had a tugboat as like a five-year-old as a toy. So that probably is also Is there a tugboat in Thomas the Tank Engine? There was like a children's tugboat thing that I'm I'm sort of half remembering. Anyway, that's tugboat. You know, when we go on these tangents, there's another show I love where they they say like, oh, let's open a tab to talk about something Mm. tangential. And they'll go, close that tab. I feel like we need our version of that. I think I've used the tab thing. I just stole it from that. But maybe we should say like, well, that's the end of of the Tugboat podcast. 
<laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> Every time we, we go off a on a tangent, a it's podcast. a new podcast. Uh, so that's yeah, Tugboat Time. Like nesting podcasts. Mm. Um, like, yeah, the, the, the Russian doll yes. of podcasts. But I would anyway. happily do a podcast about Tugboats. <laughs> Welcome, uh, Luke, the anchor car to the show. Let's get on to the air check. Series 2, episode 32 of the Ricky Gervais Show on XFM in break one. How many radio stations have more than one feature about a monkey in one show? Just this one. Uh, they talk about the, the the Ricky and Steve talk about um, posing songs is what they call it. The song that between the ages of 14 and 18, you dance around in your bedroom too. Uh, for Ricky, it was this Roxy Music song that they are about to play. I didn't relate to this, Zach. I, I didn't do much dancing to songs between 14 and 18. I did more sort of sitting moodily listening to pop punk and incubus and corn. Well, you covered last week that you've never sat and listened to anything. Yeah, I'm not a big just sit there and listen to music guy. But um, neither. I feel like it's a scene out of a movie that up until this point I would have said was made up. It's a good intro to a yes. character. It's like, where's Ricky? Breakfast is getting cold and he's upstairs dancing around to music. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And he would have been because he was a uh, – you can imagine he was kind of like glam, wasn't he? When he was a pop star? Uh, no, New Romantics. They okay. call it like, yeah, David Sylvian. Um, well, there was a bit of what glam? I'm saying. It's not is, glam. It's more sort of, of, yeah. There was a bit of new wave going into the look. Uh-huh. So he would have needed to spend some time in front of the mirror. Uh, so coming out of re- break two, Steve asks what uh, Ricky would have been wearing while dancing around to that Roxy Music song. Brutus Gold Jeans, Green Flash Pumps, and the T-shirt his mum got him from Tesco's, the one with little pictures of women in bikinis eating bananas. Fantastic. Uh, it reminded me of my girlfriend, Brooke. She uh, infamously, well, in, in our relationship, something I love to bring up and laugh about, um, was that she told me that when she was a kid, her mum got her, uh, two shirts, one with a picture of a kitten that said, good kitty gone bad. Okay. And the other one was a T-shirt that just said the phrase, playing the field. And did her mother know that these were kind of... I, I believe so. And I believe she was oh. like, hey, these are fun shirts. Enjoy. I thought the story was going to be because my mother-in-law, who's very conservative, has given out multiple offensive, not offensive, but like risque shirts, not knowing. Because she didn't understand the innuendo uh-huh. because she's so conservative. So- <laughs> So I got one from overseas that was a um, wood surfboard company. Uh-huh. They made like balsa wood surfboards. Big stiff cock surfboards.com. Uh, <laughs> that was cool. It had a big got wood uh-huh. logo on it. <laughs> and she's like, what? No. What? <laughs> and um, she gave her son once something about a beaver. I forget exactly what it was, but you can fill in the um, – you can kind of figure out what it was the, referring yeah. to. But it kind of had a cartoon beaver on it. And again, she was very horrified to learn that it wasn't the cute. Would you be the one who would tell her as soon as you received the gift? You'd be like, well, you know what this no, means. Well, at this stage, my wife, I didn't feel comfortable. I might now, but, you know, we were just dating and my wife kind of said to her, it wasn't an issue. I think I, it wasn't like, I don't think that's offensive. No, but no, it was offensive to her. Uh, to like, She was like, oh, no, oh, no. It's awkward and, and, and vaguely inappropriate for a mother-in-law to get the Yeah, yeah, to. yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. Uh, I, the only, I, I gave my mum one Christmas when I was a kid, like a head massager. Yeah. Um, but on the box it said orgasmatron. <laughs> yeah. Or orgasmatron. And I didn't really pick that up at the time. And so she opened it and went, oh, and read the box and went, 
a head massager. Great. Ricky then moves on to chat about his uh, outfit choice on the beach. He borrowed a, a trilby from his brother. <laughs> my older brother had this leather jacket, and I was on the I was on the beach, um, just you know, in in my shorts and that. And uh, I went to get an ice cream or something. I said, "Can I borrow a jacket?" And uh, I put his jacket on, and I was frozen on the beach, thinking they are all looking at me because <laughs> I look so good. And yeah. I also had a, um, a straw Stetson, <laughs> and I really thought, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm turning into quite a man." <laughs> yes. I'm- that's more relatable. The idea of of being a kid and or just being a younger adult, thinking that like outfit choices are really going to change how people perceive you, and everyone's looking at me. Yeah, and especially if you borrowed something from someone you thought was cool. Yeah, or got a hand me down. Yeah, when I when I was about six and I wore my Raphael Ninja Turtles uh, costume to the supermarket, <laughs> I thought. Everyone thinks I'm pretty cool. I remember a similar era to not what they're talking about, but this show, I was wearing massive globe skate shoes. They were like pillows. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Huge, the big tongue. Yeah. I had like really baggy shorts on, probably yeah. SMP. Yeah. yeah. A Weber belt that like a web belt that like dangled down. The, or, yeah. You always left that dangling down. And yeah. a visor. And you'd have oh like, my god! And you spiky you'd have hair. like a fringe over the. Visor. If it was bleach blonde and you had some sort of uh, ball chain necklace, you would have been peak. But I remember looking 90s, in the mirror and thinking, "This is so cool," <laughs> and that's what makes me scared about how I dress now. Because you look in the mirror and you think, "Oh, I look good today," or "I like this outfit," but I'm like, "In ten years, am I gonna think that this is ridiculous?" Yeah, it depends how like fashionable you think you're trying to be. Because yeah. there's things that are timeless, like blue jeans, yeah, you know, leather jackets, never going to go out of style. But um, two big swings and misses that I had <laughs> in my in my like around twenty to twenty three. One was wearing a bow tie, <laughs> like, which Steve Steve talks about. Headphones come out that he tried, but I I you know twenty going to like what year? When I was twenty, yeah, but what year was that? So this was would have been two thousand seven. That was pretty early to bow ties. I would have said 2010. Yeah, no, I. Uh, it was when I really thought, you know, cared about trying to look a certain way because you, you're going out to yeah. like bars so, so where they on, play cool going out indie to, uh, music and stuff. With these gigs or like clubs. It's a place it's a place called Amplifier in Perth where they would play, where there would be bands and then they a DJ who would play like the Strokes yeah. and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and just cool. So, it was like, it was so the bow tie was kind of ironic. Uh, it was just yeah. like, hey, look at me! I've got it. I'm an individual. But then I went to a friend's place before we went out, and they went like, "You kind of look like a waiter. Yeah. Like you just, you know, white shirt and a bow tie. You just look like a waiter." You remember, like, there's always something someone said to you once, and it's like, okay, I'm never wearing. Yeah, that again. never again. The other one was I, I thought, um, I thought like big chunky beads would be uh, an interesting thing to wear. <laughs> That's when I thought what, I like was a, a bit necklace? more artistic. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And that was one a friend's mum said. Uh, I think that one's a mistake. <laughs> I, went, okay. I went to my friend's 21st party and I used to do up like my top button a lot. It was the fashion at the time. And I'd wear a tie and then I wore this sweater. It, like it was a thing when you were 21 to dress like an old man. You remember this? Kind yeah, of hipster. But it's a bit, a bit like hipster, buttoned up to the top but skinny jeans yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. And um one of my friend's parents said, Zach's really conservative, isn't he? <laughs> Thinking that. I'm like, oh, no, that's the, 
That's the irony of it. The irony is that we're dressing like old people. Yeah. But we're not old people. Like, <laughs> you don't get it. <laughs> it's like mum jeans. Yeah. They're not mums. It's just ironic and cool to wear baggy jeans. Um, I used to wear, like, uh, you know, Arnett, the brand, surf brand Arnett? Yeah. Wrap around, like, white yes. Arnett's. Yes. And I was just back in Perth, and my sister-in-law posed that it's almost time for them to come back into a style. Because now it's like all oh, Raymaster, it's the Club Masters, it's, you know, they. No, it's a it's classic funny. look. But I don't know if this is how it's always worked, but it's like people in Australia, like the mullets back, these huge 80s sunglasses, and I feel like everyone started doing it as a joke. I, feel I don't like feel like how, it's not a joke that's anymore. That's how a lot of these things yeah, start. You think you so? know? Like, well, like you said, is that the joke is that we're not right. old. Yeah. But, the, yeah, but... I don't know. Is it time for those like? Then I I now feel like they're they're referred to as speed dealer sunglasses. Yeah. Is it time for them to be cool again? I had Oakley. I think they were called Gaskins. Yeah. Oakleys. Oakleys were just like. Was this the same in England? Leave a comment below this post on Patreon. Was I don't imagine. Were Oakleys as cool in England as they were in Australia? You get fake ones from Bali too. Yes. Uh, Fakeleys. We called them folkleys. Oh. <laughs> That might have been what I called them as well. I might be misremembering. Uh, okay, cool. So they turn to um, – oh, so they talk a bit more about um, clothes. Ricky mentions his, uh, his jumper that said bullshit that turned all his clothes pink at uni in the first wash. Oh, how great is this story about him? <laughs> Jumping in the bath with Daz. Yeah, to wash is his that clothes. that the um, washing detergent? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. so funny. Creative. Multitasking. Getting it both done. Um, but then they finally turn to Carl for some teasers for the show. They've got a lot to catch up on uh, because they missed stuff last week. They get straight into Songs of Phrase. This week, it's the classic phrase. Big laugh from Ricky. The prize includes an XFM mouse mat, which hearing that made me think, why have mouse mats gone out of fashion? Do you have a mouse mat? No, I don't have a computer. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I think maybe did um, were they more appropriate before? Like they had a the laser. optical sensors. Yeah, remember when they used to be a ball? It used to just be the ball. Yeah, I'm using a mouse here, no um, mouse mat. and no mouse mat. And you're an animator, although I imagine when you're animating, you're using a touch screen. Are you using my big Wacom here? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did look it up. They they said, look, you should still use a, a mouse mat even though but it is that exact reason there's no more the ball thing but we should be using it maybe you know I don't know I wonder if I can get my hands on an XFM you know what mat. I saw yesterday though someone doing as a promo is the new mouse mat is like these really long mouse mats across the whole yeah and it's like a gaming mat mm. you put like your keyboard and your I guess I don't know what do gamers use. Are, are, are you still using a keyboard, or are there special keyboards for computer games? Are you still using a, a keyboard? <laughs> We're not on the cloud yet. I'm not using just brain power. Well, I just thought like people are so into or gaming. like a I'm controller. Sure or something. There's like a. There's, I'm sure you're not using a rectangle keyboard to game yeah. properly, are you? Yeah. Like people who are really into gaming, they're using the a rectangle. They're using a gaming keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, a gaming keyboard exactly. But it's still the same layout. Oh. I thought it might be like I'll, I'll show like you some stuff after or something show. like that. You know the ones that are like kind of split in half. Yeah, yeah you can get that. That's yeah. an option. Yeah. Um, 
But I'm thinking maybe putting the uh, Carl's Childhood illustration on a mouse mat. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> maybe make that a perk. Uh, break three. Steve thinks Chinatown in London is at best a novelty street. Uh, the first time he came to London, he had this idea built up in his head that it was going to be huge and awesome, um, but it wasn't, which made me think it's like how it's just like expectation versus reality. Like a lot of people are very disappointed when they when they see the Mona Lisa in person for the mm. first time because it's they think it's going to be bigger usually. Um, yeah. Uh, is there a, there's a Chinatown in Brisbane. Yeah. It's just quite small, isn't it? Never, I don't think I've ever been there. Yeah. The the um I don't think the people named it Chinatown. <laughs> I think that's the thing Steve missed. I just called it. I think that well, like the, I know Melbourne's got a quite a prominent. I was I did a little bit of reading into like the history of London's Chinatown, um, but they didn't really seem to be you know whatever. I th- I think it is officially called Chinatown though. Um, I have to confirm that. But did they? But like, who named it that? That's what oh, well, <laughs> well, you know, I didn't think they planted a flag and said, "I dubbed this Chinatown." It would have just evolved over time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Carl doesn't think it's smart business to have so many Chinese restaurants in the one area. I don't think that is true, by the way, because you know how fast food shops band together. You have like a center of fast food places. Mm-hmm. I've heard that's because it like like people are coming there to eat. They make it a destination. Well, like Eat Street. Yeah. In Brisbane, I think um, you, I think it is good to have hubs, yeah, things to yeah. attract people to it, yeah. But I mean, it wouldn't be the first time Carl didn't have great business advice, yeah. <laughs> all the all the you know most uh, informed in the opinions on things, um, and then uh, that this break ends with Carl getting annoyed. That no one is entering his songs of phrase competition because he went through the trouble of putting that together. Which songs of phrase? in this era, would have been, all right, what's the song with, uh, how can I make this work? And it would have just re- relied on his knowledge because there's no keyword search of song lyrics. Oh, true. You know, it would have taken him Maybe some time. Maybe they talked about it around the office, XFM. Yeah. They're um, having morning tea and he'd be like, hey, does anyone know a song with wind in it? Yeah, or a song with auntie. What's a song with auntie in it? I'm sure there'd be people in a radio station that would really enjoy that challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, break four, Steve uh, starts with Steve apologising for his reference to those little wooden shoes. Um, they talk about complaints. Ricky only got one complaint upheld when he was on the 11 o'clock show, like the one complaint they've had upheld on this show so far. Um, they talk about one of the most complained about moments in TV history was Anne Robinson putting the Welsh into Room 101, which Carl agrees with. He says it feels like going back in time when you go to Wales. And here's a comment below the YouTube video of this episode. I'm Welsh, and I haven't moved on from these broadcasts in over 10 years. Carl has a point. (laughs) Uh, This story he tells about his dad, wow. Yes. It's an important backstory detail, I think. It reveals a lot about his character. Yeah, there's a a shop that leaves uh, shopping in a phone box for people to pick it up. Uh, And, uh, yeah, then it it prompts Carl um, to, to reveal the latest in the uh, building case that Carl's dad is at is something of a rascal because he gets up to this. So my dad's loving that. Well, Once yeah. he found that out, it was like, brilliant. But that, how is that a bad thing? That's brilliant. Well, it's not. For other people, it is for my dad because he's picking up all sorts of stuff. Oh, chickens. no, he's not. Oh, yeah. He's not nicking other people's shopping. Well, it's not like nicking, is it? Because it's not theirs yet. <laughs> oh, and you've stitched him up on radio. Well, of course, because yeah. they're going to think, who's that? Wh- who is there in town with a mank accent 
who and hangs around the lot. Who keeps yeah. making phone calls. <laughs> and is getting fatter. Yeah. The enthusiasm with which Carl comes in for that story versus how quiet he gets when they point out that they, he stitched him up. And had the slow realisation yeah. of what's happening. Because I, like, kind of, I guess, had a innocent thought. I was like, oh, his dad's excited because it's a convenience that they don't have <laughs> other way in the world. It's like, oh, they'll put their stuff out for me. No, 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 no. He uh, sees an opportunity. Yeah, and an opportunity to exploit. And like when he uh, talked about, um, Carl talked about like his dad getting the the catalog sent to his house that he mm. didn't want and he felt like they ripped him off. So he's like, I'm going to start charging you rent. The, again, the energy in his voice when he's telling him about it says to me, and I'm speculating here, that Carl thinks it's like, Oh, Dad's Good idea. pretty smart, you know. He's he's onto it. He's found a, a loophole. What I didn't understand is they talk about this as if it's a small town. W- wouldn't word get around? Wouldn't it be pretty obvious who was stealing it? Well, that's a, that's Ricky and Steve speculate. Um, oh, in this chat as well, we hear that Ricky and Carla filmed something for mm. the behind the scenes of Ricky's Animals DVD, which is strange because I looked into it. The bonus feature, Meet Carl Pilkington, is actually on the Politics DVD, which came out a year later. Wasn't ready. It wasn't on Animals. Because in Politics, he actually talks about um, Carl, but not in Animals. But there is this behind-the-scenes video uh, from the Animals DVD, which I watched. It only goes for two and a half minutes. I'll skip through a little bit. Uh, it's sort of a, 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 a bit about the reviews for the show. Um, and just think about... What Ricky tweets now and the sort of his public persona compared to what's happening in this. So it's actually, you can hear Steve's voice. Steve is, is filming this. This is uh, backstage at a show. I'm assuming they're talking about um, Ricky's live show, Animals, which has come out and has had some reviews. Really, really good. Um, they all came down and uh, pretty much without exception gave it a, a glowing review. So I was, even though I was saying, you know, it doesn't matter, uh, it, was, it was great to read that, they thought it was really good, so... What about something like the Newsnight Review? Because that's quite intellectual. What did they make of it? Huh? The Newsnight Review. What did they make of it? Ian Hislop, didn't he review it? Didn't you yeah. give it a review on TV? Did he like it? What, no. did, what did he make of it? He didn't he like it? Hated it. What, what, how did he describe it? What did he say? Because, I mean, he's a, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, he knows comedy because he's a funny guy. Does he? So. Does he really? I mean... I don't, I don't really count reviews. I don't read them. They don't count. So it doesn't matter what they say. It's just their opinion. But what did he say? He didn't, didn't like it, did he? he didn't like it. Did he use any derogatory terms? He just said it was... Shit? Rubbish. A lot of the material is just so banal. After having produced a programme as funny as The Office, I cannot see why he's on stage. Watching Ricky Gervais, you thought, oh yeah, you can more or less do this. But, I mean, so what? What about the other people there? Oh, no, there was a couple of people who were sort of arguing with him, though, were there? Yeah. Who didn't like it? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't hate it as much as him. Far more self-deprecating. Oh, he's playing David Brent. He's it is basically a David Brent. <laughs> so it's like, um, kind of a meld of like half real because they're commenting on things from real life and about Ricky Gervais. It's a bit, but he's. He's, he's playing a character. But, okay, I'll go to his Twitter Twitter now and let's just go through his latest tweets. Uh, pinned, 
best fans in the world, and he's retweeting Afterlife fans for the third season in a row. Afterlife is the most watched British comedy in the world. Yeah, it's a, a, a lot of um, retweeting compliments about himself. I can't, Im- I can't imagine him doing something like that again. And maybe he can't. Maybe it's like he's too far down the road in his career um, to then turn around and be like, oh, I'm still the same self-deprecating, you know, guy I was 20 years ago doing the same bits. Mm. But I don't know. I think it is just, I like this Ricky. This is the Ricky that Self-deprecating. I Self-deprecating. Like. I think so. Which yeah. shows some vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose like that is a thing of like, well, why do why do I need uh why do I need him to be self-deprecating? To be like, you know, cutting himself down. But I think it's, it's be because it's ironic. It's ironic. It's also you don't need him to be self-deprecating, but the vulnerability shows a humanity. You've hit the nail on the head there. Where how how do I give you an applause on this thing? Here we go. That's it. And ironically, Ricky's latest special was called Humanity, uh, but I feel like he uh, demonstrates less these days. <laughs> Ricky, in talking about... Um, oh, hang on. So they're talking about... Uh, I've jumped ahead here. Have I jumped ahead? I have. I have. So break five, because they started this break talking about the poster campaign around London That's right. and why Carl isn't in... The poster. This was, uh, I thought this was interesting time in history where you remember when you didn't know what people on the radio looked like? Oh, yeah. I only vaguely remember. That it was like kind of when I first started listening to radio. That's a big joke in the movie Airheads. Have you okay. seen Airheads no. with uh, Brendan Fraser? It's an early Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. It's Brendan, Fra- it's, a, it's about a band. Brendan Fraser. Steve Buscemi and Adam Sandler are in a rock band trying to get their music played on a radio station and then the radio station um, uh, announces they're con- transferring from uh, uh, rock to like easy listening. It's the reverse of Die Hard. Instead of like following Bruce McLean, it follows uh, the, the terrorist, the band. Uh, they take the place hostage. They take a, It's a comedy. It's lighthearted. Um the radio station. They take over the radio station, like refusing to let it be turned into an easy listening thing and trying to get their music played. Isn't that not dissimilar to Alan Partridge's Alpha Papa? Uh, a little bit, but it would be like if Alpha Papa, the protagonist, was um, the guy, the who, guy who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, a joke in there about it is they go in there to try to get it played and they, and they talk to... They meet one of the DJs who has this persona as being like this sexy DJ guy, ladies' man, and they go in and it's Harry Shearer from The Simpsons. Um, But now I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like you might, you'll probably see them before you hear them. Totally, yeah. billboards or social media. A social media clip or reality television. Yeah. Um, So why doesn't Carl want to be on the poster? But then you see what I don't like about this world. A lot of people (laughs) judge people on the way they look. Oh, like you do. Uh, if, if only more people thought like that, Steve. But Carl, you judge people on the way they look. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean. But I couldn't <laughs> with me, could I? Because I don't know what I look like. What? <laughs> it's a brain teaser. Mm-hmm. I can't with me because I don't know what I look like. What do you think's going on here? I, do you think he believes this idea of like that there's a mystique to him that he doesn't want to um, expose? Or is that an excuse because he didn't like the way he looked on a poster? I 
struggling to figure out why he wouldn't want to be Whether on the Whether he means it or not, that's what he's doing is he's is he's promoting a bit of mystique. He's Yeah, right. Because you'd think that de- what everyone who's on a radio show would be like, oh, yeah, get me in front of people. Yes. Yeah. That's literally what, doing what this most is- people in a radio station, regardless of their job, wants to be. Yeah, because I want to be the center of attention. So it's actually quite punk rock of Carl to be like, no, don't put me on the poster. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. not bothered. Uh, and he claims it's because he doesn't want people to judge him on how he looks, which is how they get onto the talk about the behind-the-scenes footage because um, they filmed some stuff and Carl saw himself <laughs> and said, is it in slow motion? Well, this is the other thing too. It's an era when you might not be comfortable or used to seeing yourself, whereas I feel like that's not the case for young people. A 29-year-old today yeah, probably very used to seeing photos of themselves, even if you're not in the media, but if you're in the media especially. That's so true. Did you, when you started in radio, when you first started to hear yourself back, was that an adjustment period for you for yourself? Because uh, that's another thing. It's like, is that what period. I sound like? But that goes away very quickly. It does. Now we love the sound of our, our own voices. That's why we wear these headphones yeah. and turn them up so loud. Hi, hi. Particularly love when my voice still breaks. <laughs> that's my favourite part. Um, yeah, so talking about the poster, uh, Ricky then... Uh, Pokes the bear, asking Carl about uh, his looks alongside Steve. You could, you could dress are up you wor- Are you worried that you'll look the worst out of all three of us? Uh, who am I standing next to? I'm next to Steve. <laughs> I'm, pr- I'm fairly confident. <laughs> yeah. You really fall over. <laughs> I like the way it's so predictable. You pull the string because you know what it is. It's not- you pull the string? <laughs> It's good. Yeah, you physically hear him hit the desk. Yeah. And then the seat go back. I think it, it's, I love, I love, uh, you know, a dynamic where friends are close enough that they can take the piss out of each other. I enjoy that as a comedic dynamic. But what feels extra sort of dangerous and I, what I think is makes it, you know, that extra level of edge or whatever is that like we've talked about, it's like Steve's not really in on this joke. No. It is Ricky saying that because he knows what Carl's going to say and Carl does not care about Steve's feelings. I guess you could say that Steve has the highest status. Yeah. Um, so like <laughs> we, could, it is kind of like this lower status person making fun of a higher status so we can kind of go along with it. If they were... Although they both go after Carl a lot. <laughs> like, that's kind of the reverse. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, they, chat, they, they chat about complaints and, um, and the complaint about the, the sex scene in the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ, which is apparently the most complained about thing in British TV history, uh, moves on to Carl talking about his parents' discomfort about sex scenes in movies, which... You know, pretty relatable to all of us. You're watching a movie with your folks and then a sex scene comes on or a pair of boobs. Um, it's awkward. It's awkward. But another chapter in... Because that's not what his dad says. His dad doesn't say, oh, it's awkward because I'm here with you, mate. Yeah. Or we're going to, you know, let's both go out and make a cup of tea or whatever. Unless he's just covering up the awkwardness with this excuse. But you'd think because both the parents seem to have this idea that sex scenes ruin movies. Yeah. 
It's another fascinating... It's not just against the awkwardness it creates. Mm. He's just against sex full stop. Well, because remember, I missed this episode, but you told me about it. <laughs> One of the ones I didn't listen to. Didn't you say that uh, Carl was either neither here nor there on sex? He's like, yeah, once you've had it, it's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you kind of start putting he's, some of these pieces he's together. He's 30 years old and he says like, oh, you know... He's done. He talks about the Spain holiday and he's like, well, this was, you know, when I was younger, I had, had all my energy... Is it, it, yeah, and I think that one he says he would be fine being castrated. Like, he wouldn't care. No, and so, you know, and then you hear that, you know, he's grown up thinking that sex scenes were on movies and... I don't know. Ah, yeah, right. Piecing yeah. a few things together there. Might have been part of his uh, the nature versus nurture debate. He's he's had a... a um, well, also a he's negative seen, attitude towards sex. Uh, and it's also... Nurtured into uh, it. Sex has led to what he's seen as negative consequences for his brother, uh-huh. where they have to keep moving, <laughs> keep moving <laughs> to get away from oh the people God. who claim that up. Yeah. Carl probably has a pretty negative view on sex. Uh, he workshops here. The uh, he, he's, he's inquiring about the sex scene in The Last Temptation of Christ, and he workshops how they could have toned it down the complaint was the very suggestion. The suggestion. That it was. It was a blasphemous thing. Not the fact that you saw an actor's knob. So what about if they just cut it down a bit and you, you like saw the little stable door closing? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the baby Jesus having sex. <laughs> it was the grown man. Big laugh. Break six. Uh, Steve says Carl looks like Charlie Brown. They move on because that last break went for. Ever. It started with a chat about the poster campaign and ended with a chat about how they could tone down the sex scene in Last Temptation of Christ. So there's a bit of feedback for the guys a, a content director would give. Do you think one thought per break? That's right. Do you think with uh, the Charlie Brown thing, you know how like when actors go on SNL, they kind of give look them up and down and go like, who could you play? You know, yeah. it's like very obvious with Tina Fey. Obviously, she looks so much like her that she could be Sarah Palin. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think with Carl, they're instantly going, uh, Charlie Brown, 30 years on. Boom. Yeah, live We've action. got it. Yeah. And I would love that. That'd be a great <laughs> sketch. And especially if he was a similar personality where he's... Because Charlie Brown was a bit of an optimist, wasn't he? I, I never really watched much Charlie Brown Either. stuff. But, um, yeah, I can imagine Carl being very low energy and... Uh, the world has got to Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah. Worn him down a bit. Charlie Brown after uh, work, working long hours. Yeah. Uh, we get the songs of phrase answers. Uh, break seven, monkey news. Um, Carl's just natural comedic timing when he describes Coco the Chimp. Today, right, we're looking at one that's uh, <laughs> it's called Coco. Uh, oh, yeah, the, one, the sign language one. Well, what I've read about him is he speaks... Right. Oh, Highly educated. Yeah. Photographer. Carl! Carl! So he's got a few things wrong there. Um, well, one main thing, Coco. Uh, Highly educated, I imagine. Yeah. Well, Coco was female. Um, and I did a bit of uh, research to find out what's the latest with Coco. Um, Coco the gorilla uh, passed away in 2018 at the age of 46. Um, Coco was not only a photographer, um, as <laughs> Carl describes there, apparently she was also a pet owner. 
Coco and her new playmates seem best of friends, the kitten showing no fear, the gorilla showing great tenderness. She picked the kitten from a photograph, and now, according to her trainers, she's given it a name, Lip Lipstick, because the pink of its nose and mouth looks to her like lipstick. I think they're filling in a few blanks. Coco with the gorilla. Bit, don't you think? Yeah. They're, uh, they're filling in some blanks in a very optimistic way. Well, Coco... Uh this is the story. It's from the BBC. Coco, the celebrated Western lowland gorilla, died at the age of 46 this week. Many people paid tributes to her by praising her signing skills. She's famous for her signing skills, but all is not what it seems. Her death resonated with many people with video showing her communicating with her trainers being shared widely on social media. In many obituaries, it was claimed that she mastered American Sign Language using over a thousand signs, but some experts said the headlines praising her sign language skills were rather inaccurate. What was the inaccuracy? Um, that's a, a here we go. Uh, skeptical linguistics and scientists questioned Patterson's methods. That's her, I don't know, keeper trainer. They also debated how much of Coco's communication actually came from herself, or how much we projected ourselves onto her. That's um, I could be wrong here, but I'm going to have a crack at it. There's a famous study with a horse that could count. Have you heard about this? No. That could do math. So they'd give it math equations and it would stamp. So it'd be like 7 plus 8 and it would stamp 15 and then get a treat. But then they kind of debunked it because they were doing video footage or something and they could tell that like the trainer's body language or eyes or something about them would change when they got to the right number in anticipation, not because they were trying to cheat it, but like when they got to 15, you know, they'd go... <gasps> And then it would stop seeing that body language. So it was just looking at the trainer, waiting till it so sees that cue. it wasn't a chart with all these numbers. They had to press it a certain amount of times. Um, no, they'd go like, you know, Mr. Ed, what's seven plus eight? One, two. Yeah, right. Three, yeah, there four. wasn't a button that said 15. No, 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 no. no. Right. Um, yeah, and it was like, but it, then it became this study about that type of thing. About flaws. Well, that's like Pavlovian. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, that's like Pavlovian conditioning is that the horse, what the horse has learned is to look for that reaction. Which is actually quite interesting in itself, aside from being a mathematician. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so so then that led to. I don't know. Like they, you know, it was just used as like like a classic. Yeah, bias and like a classic kind of story of things aren't always what they seem. Yeah, yeah. Brooke's obsessed on social media. There's a dog with a, an account. I think it's a poodle of some kind that apparently can communicate with a, like a, a board of like words. Mm. And it comes up and says, like, I think I've I'm seen that. Hungry. Yeah. I would love to. And now, are the buttons labeled? Yeah. Oh, they are. Because I would love to. It'd be very easy to fake that by just adding the sound effects in later. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it to say really complicated things. <laughs> uh, in break eight, uh, they go straight into cheapest chimps. Carl found a website you can purchase exotic animals. It's a bit. It's a very half cocked uh, uh, feature, and I reckon you know the feedback would be like what Carl. Uh, the conclusion Carl came to is that there's not much future in this. Uh, because he finds out that it's not cheap as chimps because chimps are, chimps are actually expensive to buy, according to this website. Tiger's pretty cheap. Tiger's cheap, though. Yeah, uh, I'm a little dubious on, on, on whatever website that was. In break nine, uh, Ricky talks about his past as a pub DJ. 
and they talk about uh, w- uh, wedding DJ patter, and that they all all three of them have history being uh, disc jockeys in in various um, iterations. Steve and Carl have the most history, and I always I feel like that's a comedy character. Steve probably too late to do now. Um, you know, maybe a follow up to Hello Ladies. He could have done a show about where he plays a wedding DJ. Mm, I think he'd need to be in his twenties. Yeah, yeah, because he talks about the fine art of of choosing the music, which is. Maybe that's a bit of insight into what, you know, music directors do in radio stations. Well, they made the connection here. I'm thinking the whole time. This is just the progression of radio. Yeah. And they're talking about talking between tracks and giving facts and whatever. I'd never heard anyone do that before in a live environment. I've never seen that happen. Never seen that yeah, happen. I would find it very odd if someone came on between the songs to be like, are we having a good time tonight? But I I was like, maybe that's, that's probably where radio came from. And then Ricky made that. Exact, yeah. uh, drew that exact parallel. But um, I did do this in the form of radio in high school. We had a radio station, quote unquote, where we just set up these big speakers that played across the school. And we called it radio. And we were sitting in a booth, like broadcasting. But it was essentially this, like talking between playing songs over a PA system. Yeah, that was just in the garden outside the... Um, it was just. Or was it all over the school? Was it a school-wide broadcast? Well, it was in the middle of the school, and we just turned it up really loud. <laughs> okay, you so could hear it throughout. It's a the potential cum of a few hundred. You, we had reports that you could hear it from the train station, <laughs> which was like four hundred <laughs> meters down the road. Well, that's uh, that's that's good reach. That is good reach. Uh, a captive audience; they couldn't tune out, or <laughs> there was no competition. So that was a good good training ground. Uh, I love hearing about Carl's thrifty use of business cards during his career uh, as a part of Pilkey's Making Music. And I had some Perfect. cards made. had some nice blue glossy cards made, but they were quite expensive. Yeah. So I used to hand them out and then they'd say cheers for that and say, no, write it down. Write the number down. I want that back. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> Brilliant. Because yeah. they were quite pricey. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Classy, classy businessman there. <laughs> I'm always looking for inspiration for, you know, Patreon perks or merch and stuff. That's inspired by this show. Could we do something where yes. it's like you give it out, but you have to give it back? No, I was thinking you could make we could make business cards. Oh yeah, or Pilkey. What we can imagine what they would have looked like. Oh, like a Pilkey's making music. Yeah, business. I have uh, asked the executive producers of this show uh, what the next drawing should be because I want to do a follow up to the Carl's childhood, and uh, it's the thing I mentioned on an early early episode about doing a t shirt, a tour yes. t shirt for yes. Pilkey's making music. It would just be complicated and it would be quite expensive. That's the, if anyone wanted to buy it. I, I think it would be too expensive for anyone to... Why would it be more expensive than just a normal printed shirt? Because I think... Well, I'd have to get it printed in the UK because that's I think that's where most people are. Mm. Uh, um, but pr- printing on the front and back... Both sides. Both sides. To get it printed um, at a low volume, which is because this is the most neat... This is, again, comedy cult we are, we are a part of. Yeah, anyway, this isn't probably an off-air conversation. But leave a comment below if you would like a Pilkey's Making Music tour T-shirt and you're willing to pay upwards of, because it would probably be in pounds, 30, 40 pounds, realistically. Uh, In Australia, I'd probably do another even more limited run, a local ones, and it would be probably 50 bucks. Leave a comment if that's something that interests you. Image on the front. And tour dates on the back. We'd have, but again, we'd have to come up with all those tour dates. Where would they go? 
Does he mention where he's played? I, I thought the uh, like the equivalent of a PCYC, wasn't it? Wasn't it like a local? Um, yeah, yeah, like yeah, a local yeah. youth hall yeah. or something. But we could, you could fudge it and be like, "Oh, playing at Twiggy's Dance Studio." Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, make what's his friend's name? Macon. Yeah, Macon on the lights. Yeah, on featuring Macon on the lights, flicking them on on and off. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, into break ten. They start with a round of apologies to everyone they may have offended in this show, which they then <laughs> go straight into the tasteful new feature, Cheeky Freak of the Week, and talk about this guy who has uh, 27 toes and fingers. I'm assuming they're talking about this guy who actually has 28 toes and fingers. He's recognised as the uh, world record, the Guinness World Record holder for most fingers and toes. Um, he's a guy from India, and he considers the feat as God's blessing. Uh, it's a condition called polydactylism. He has seven fingers on each hand and seven toes on each feet, um, or, albeit two toes adjoined. And people come from far and wide to see him. Um, Do uh, is the Guinness Book of Records still being printed? Good question, because I know that it's quite easy to get a record these days, because every radio station does it. Actually, I saw one do it last week. They're still doing it. Yep. Um, but I don't think that actually ends up in a book, right? Not those little novelty ones like most um, sugar cubes stacked or whatever. Yeah. it's No, it's the, it's the blockbuster ones. It's the one that makes for good photos. Here we go. Guinness Book of World Records 2023. Is it out now? I think it's out now. It's like FIFA or like 2K. It's like we're in 2022. What's... But they, they, they release it for the year ahead. I used to always get them from uh, the Book Fest, which was like a secondhand book festival. Because we could never, you know, we would never, I'd never get something like that brand new. Like 30, 40 bucks when mm. I was a kid. But I was allowed to pretty much go crazy at the Book Fest. And so I remember, and this was probably in 1999, I had the 1986 Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> I had the 1985 Guinness Book of Records. I will just get as many as I could find. We're like, Mum, we're taking these home. <laughs> Any records that really stand out? Uh, like Tallest Man was always like mm. a big one. They always loved The that woman one. with the bulging eyebrows and the fingernails. Uh, fingernails was always one hair, longest hair. Yeah. Um, there was always that photo. And thinking about it now is because it was the same dude and they had the same photo. Yep. But, you know, like the tallest man leaning on a six-foot man. Yeah, and like, and like, it's like for scale, this police officer is six foot, and it's like, oh my goodness, he's so tall. <laughs> Guinness Book of Records, still going in twenty twenty three. Um, that's sort of the end of the show. They, um, oh, hang on, I've moved, I've changed tabs. Yeah, that's that's sort of it. They end on a, they're they end on a high. Ricky going nuts trying to tell Carl. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so the, the, they get onto. Uh, <laughs> They do, they, it's funny they end they end the show with a round of apologies and then go on to <laughs> to do two things that they should apologize for probably the cheeky freak of the week and then Ricky just berating Carl to get him to tell oh. what his dad's nickname was for the woman who had uh, deformities. It's quite uncomfortable to taxi. hear Ricky get so angry. He get that's the thing he gets so worked up about. Well, I was wondering from a radio point of view if you could share some perspective here of like if you. We're stuck, like Carl is. Although he's not stuck, by the way, because he has the buttons. That so he could have, he could have just gone to the song like he wanted to. He was looking for their permission. He could have just gone, 
no, we're not going to do it, and fade their mics down. Yeah, he would have. Ricky would have yelled at him. Um, what I was thinking is, if you were stuck in that situation and you knew the thing that you're going to say was would get complaints, but the other person was yelling at you to say it, you could just make something up because then all that he's doing, he would just get disappointed that it wasn't that offensive. He'd be like, that was fine, Carl. That wasn't offensive. You'd play a song and no one would ever know that the real thing was much more offensive. Yeah, but that's the that's the thing about Carl. That's not how he's made. So he does eventually. And again, there's this is like evil comedic timing around about the pause right before he then whispers. He says very quietly, Spudhead. And then he goes on to Valley goes like, but the good thing about it is you know you would be able to pick her out in a restaurant. That's his whole thing is that people having names that fit their what they look like. Because he's talked about, surely we've heard so far, it's like the thing he likes about the elephant man is if you went into a restaurant and said, oh, I'm meeting someone for dinner. And that, um, and went, oh, who is it? And said, oh, he's, he's called the elephant man. They would go, oh, he's right over there. So, it's, it's so a, does it's, he think that everyone should be identifiable <laughs> like that? Yeah. Should we all, everyone have their own coloured hair? Like you yeah. get your hair a different colour and that's your colour. Yeah, that's Your I've got swatch. A, I've got a moustache right now. Maybe I should keep it in that. Maybe that's what we should go with the uh, executive producer nicknames. It should just be some physical identifier. Carl's an idiot. Anyway, that's the end of this show. Uh, next week, series two, episode twenty-three. I think Zach back into fine form. It's been a rough couple of weeks. This show was all right. Uh, next week is an absolute classic, I believe. What well, do they finally play Carl in a film? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But the headline for the next show is Carl attempts to break a world record live on air. <laughs> it's a classic radio bit. And the way they go about it, it's the way that only Ricky, Steve and Carl could have done on this show at this time. Um, it's great fun. So look forward to getting into it. Uh, series 2, episode 33 next week. Get around us on the Patreon. You can get in touch with us, carlypilkboyspot at gmail.com. Zach Manda on TikTok. Come on Instagram if you want to say hello. See you next time, Zach. Bye. That's what I mean, but I couldn't with me, could I? Because I don't know what I look like. What?